You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Meet Namely, the all-in-one HR, payroll, and benefit software employees love to use. Clock in, schedule a vacation, and more from your desk or on the go. Plus, use the social feed to share company news and give shout-outs for a job well done. Over 1,000 companies use Namely every day. Get a free demo by visiting namely.com slash crime. That's namely.com slash crime. Build a better workplace with Namely. Rebecca, remember when I had that wedding invitation and the newspaper clipping and the shredded document and the napkin with a message on the back on the kitchen table? Yes. I wasn't planning a crime. I was trying to solve one. Oh, that makes sense. Dispatch by Breakout Games delivers all those things and more straight to your home, told through clues dispatched to you in the mail. The story draws you in to solve a crime over several months of interactive investigation. Satisfy your curious mind with 50% off your first delivery. Go to breakoutdispatch.com slash writers and use the code writers to subscribe today. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism, and a true British flavor this week. We'll talk about the newest British import to land on our shores, Unforgotten, and we'll give our first impression of a podcast from the BBC World Service and Norway's NRK. We're talking about death in Ice Valley. Joining me to dive into all that is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and New York Times-reviewed interpretive dancer... Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Buenas noches, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed PI, former defense investigator, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Laura. Good evening. And uh, if you check out our Facebook live stream, you can see my cats. And of course, that is on the um, Crime Writers On official Facebook discussion Discussion group. group. That's where you can find that. And if you hear a little background noise going on during these intros, I think it's because our son is upstairs moving a bunch of furniture around. Just want to put that the swagway. caveat in there. And finally, the acclaimed novelist behind the City Trilogy and our own book club top banana, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Gov. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just discussing before we started taping what we're going to be talking about next week on the show. It's not 100% set yet, but there's a good chance we'll be discussing at least in part... Uh, the season premiere of Westworld, and we will have a special guest panelist on next week with us who may never have seen Westworld before, and so it's going to be extra fun to talk to him about it next (laughs) week. Uh, Patrick Hines is going to be joining us in lieu of Laura Bricker, who will be on vacation. Laura, how do you feel about uh, being subbed in by Patrick Hines? I think that's pretty awesome. I kind of wish I was not missing it because I really would like to actually talk to Patrick Hines and hear what he had to say. So, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put a close eye on him when it comes time to grade what he's watched. (laughs) All right. Well, we will make sure that you get to hear the episode and we can send it to you at whatever uh, exotic vacation spot you're going to next week. I'm going to Virginia. It's not, not that exotic. All right. So Kevin, uh, before we start the show, we have to acknowledge something huge that happened in our lives. It was huge, but all right. It was huge to me. Okay. You have become in a small circle of the internet. Internet famous in the oh, last 24 hours. I became almost a meme. <laughs> Do you want to uh, uh, talk about what happened and the impact it's had on your life? Sure. You know, I enjoy several podcasts, and one that I get almost daily is called The Daily. It's from the New York Times, and the host is Michael Barbaro. 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 And it has this, you know, this. Uh, it's a short podcast, so it's got like this really quick theme song, dun, 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 like that. And so I, uh, I don't know. We were just sitting around the uh, kitchen table, and what started as somebody humming ended up being interpretive dance. Yeah, I think what you said to me was, I have an interpretive dance that I do to the theme song of the Taylor. Yeah, I just made it up. So Rebecca <laughs> did a video of me. Uh, doing uh basically dancing like they did on the oa yes uh to the for 10 seconds for 10 seconds and she tweeted it and it's you could see it on twitter and on facebook and whatnot but she tweeted it to the host michael barbaro michael barbaro and first he retweeted it so it's at this moment it's been seen like eighty two thousand times yeah uh (laughs) which is but then uh this was last night and today this morning this morning he and who was it zoe chase zoe chase american life right who we had a clip of the other day um they were at columbia 
uh, journalism school addressing some students, I guess. No, doing a talk. Doing like a talk. A big talk that a lot of people went to. And in the middle of the presentation, somebody videoed this, so I saw this. Uh, he uh, said, uh, look at this. And he looked to the screen, and he played the video of me doing <laughs> this quick dance to the theme music, and it got a big laugh. So, yeah, yeah. So apparently all the future journalism people laughed at me. Yeah. So they didn't laugh at you. <laughs> they laughed with they were me. They laughing with you, Kevin. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they were relating to you. All the feedback that, I mean, this was my tweet, of course, so I've been getting all the comments about it back, and they've all been, they've been overwhelmingly positive. People want to join our family. <laughs> people say that they relate. <laughs> Overwhelmingly positive. Overwhelmingly yeah. positive. All the negative ones they don't say. Was there a few negative ones thrown the in only there? Only negative one that I, I saw. One negative one, which is that moving your arms does not count as dancing. It was moving your arms does uh. not a dance make. No, but I thought, I thought it was kind of winky. I don't think it was mean. No, spirited. it was not mean. Everybody loves you. You're adorable, and everybody loves you. Well, and I you, got that going for you me. You do actually do interpretive dances to different things sometimes. Sometimes. And you let me videotape this one, and I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, Kevin. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, so uh, first up tonight, we have one of these. Kevin, can you read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. Now, Ian Bailey, that was the bad guy from the West Cork Podcast, the alleged bad guy. Mm -hmm. I should be responsible and point that out. He has been ordered to pay up to 5 million euros to cover the state's legal fees from his failed lawsuit against the Garda. Of course, we know those are the cops who pursued him as the killer in that case. Uh, he was seeking damages from the Irish police in the Toscan du Plantier investigation in which he was identified in a suspect but never convicted. Laura, we listened to yes. uh, West Cork. We all had strong feelings about Ian Bailey. What do you think of this, that he has been ordered to pay up to cover the state's legal fees in this lawsuit? Pretty interesting. What uh, I was um, following a little bit his case. What happened? Isn't he set to go to trial soon, or has that already happened? As as I recall, um, there's the uh, the case in France. Uh, yeah. But this is sort of this is I don't I can't remember if it's libel or slander if that's the term in in Ireland. But but basically, yeah, he he sued. Uh, the Garda for you know defaming him, and yep. in this kind of civil suit, uh, he risked having to pay the legal to fees, the fees. Okay. of right uh, of whoever your you know your respondent is okay. if you lose, and so he did lose. This was like I, I think the original trial was mm-hmm. back in 2015. Okay. There were appeals and appeals on different things, but it's all said and done. It's all wrapped up now, and it's like between two and five million euros. Mm. This guy's a nut. I'm sorry. He he was. I'm. He's just out there. Like he's got such a, a different view on the world. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to. See, I mean, do, does he even ha- have that much money? <laughs> What's he? Well, he's do? selling those poetry books, so I don't know. He must be raking in the money. <laughs> the farmers market yeah. every weekend. Yeah. Toby, what do you think? You had a lot of uh, feelings about Ian Bailey when we listened to West Cork. Do you think he's getting his comeuppance uh, here with being ordered to pay the police for their legal fees? Uh, yes. I, <laughs> no, I, he's, you know, he's a lot of bluster. And I think, you know, trying to intimidate people by doing that, it seemed frivolous. You know, you just can't let people get away with, you know, costing the taxpayers a ton of money just for BS. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think you got to do it or else it encourages people to, to file similar suits. So, yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't know, like the idea that he's somehow going to produce that amount of money seems a little unrealistic. Yeah. You have to make it hurt, basically. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't just let people get away with doing that kind of stuff. So even if it's like garnishing, I, I mean, does he have wages? I don't know where you get the money from, but but the idea that that he will be owing some amount of what he brings in. To the government, you know. Yeah, just like OJ does. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, it just it it's, it makes sense. So in that uh, you know that other development, uh, he is still appealing the decision of the French court to charge him with murder, mm-hmm. um, which was a you know a separate legal proceeding that they remember from the end of West Cork they got into. He's again you know he's always denied his involvement in the murder, but it looks like for you know the family of uh, uh, Tuscan de Plantier. Uh, that there still may be some justice that they can achieve in the French courts. Yeah, that was a weird case. I mean, I mean that sort of lingers with me. I think, I think think about it now, and it was like, 
sort of had your feeling about his involvement. That being said, you didn't really know, but yeah. it seemed like like he lied a lot. It reminds <laughs> me of West Cork and Wild Wild Country. Like these were like really big stories yeah. that live in like certain geographic areas. Like that the Death rest and Ice of Valley, it, like we were talking about later tonight. Yeah, I, you know that they're like real. Like you, if you live there, you think everybody knows it, right. and this wouldn't be a surprise to anybody, right? Um, and even if you just sort of have like a, a passing. You know, footnote type of knowledge of it. You, you know, when when some in the hands of a good documentarian or podcaster really brings the story alive and can be surprising to the yep. rest of us. Yep, I actually had a, uh, a chance to talk to Nick Qua from Hot Pod this week and Neiman Journal, and he we did a little interview. We talked about the state of true crime podcasting, and I did mention West Cork as being one of my favorite true crime podcasts of the last two years. We really, really enjoyed listening to that one. Mm-hmm. So for listeners who haven't checked it out yet, uh, I think that we all gave it a thumbs up, if I remember correctly. Yep. I think we did, yeah. Yeah, it was I awesome. Think, I think we did. All right, Kevin, can you please read this one for me? What, what? we learned. In our occasionally recurring segment, what we learned, we look at something that we learned. <laughs> <laughs> Always keeping it simple on Crime Writers On. That's good. A new legal term has hit the mainstream this week after the FBI seizure of documents from the home and offices of Donald Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. And that term is taint team. Laura Bricker, have you ever heard of a taint team before? And if so, can you tell us? What exactly is a taint team? I had never heard of it before this, um, before this whole episode with um, what's going on, which is just crazy. I can't even, like, keep up with everything that's going on. Hannity, Rebecca getting tires. I mean, it's just insane. (laughs) Um, The closest thing. So a taint team is basically a a team of Department of Justice staffers who screen records that have been seized and they kind of determine if there's material in these records that should be protected by attorney-client privilege. And if so, that would not be shared in a case. So, I mean, the closest thing that, you know, that, that comes to mind when I think of this is what, what we're familiar with probably in cases that we've all dealt with here, um, court cases, is like an in-camera review yeah. where a judge will review documents to determine, you know, before they're even turned over to the prosecution or the defense, the judge will review them in private to determine what's going to happen with those records. Mm. Taint team, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Taint team I, I almost want to see like like in you know the A team video where they come like out of the back of the van and it's like dun dun dun. Oh, the back of the van is where the taint team comes. And they come like rolling out. I I think that I'm pretty sure the taint team would come out between the side and back door of the van. The soft, fleshy part of the I I should explain what Laura was talking about with the tires. For our foreign listeners that don't know what a taint is. No, the the day the Sean Hannity news came out, which of course he was revealed to be Michael uh, Cohen's secret third client in that hearing. Mm -hmm. It was made huge news. You know, I work in a newsroom. We have CNN on all day. We also have access to the NPR news feed because I work in a public radio newsroom. And, you know, when big news happens, like, you want to be in the newsroom, even if it's not your local story. Like, you want to talk mm-hmm. about it with other reporters. You want to, like, decide if there's some local angle. You want to maybe put it on the, the front page of your website. I was at Tire Warehouse getting my, <laughs> my, my winter tires <laughs> taken off when this news broke. And, of course, a lot of news has happened this week, but it was such a huge story. And I'm literally sitting there just, like, trying to follow it on Twitter and tweeting about it and looking at it. And I'm like, damn it. And I was trapped. and I couldn't leave. And my cell phone battery was dying. And thanks you to the fine fellows at Tire Warehouse for uh, lending me a cell phone charging cable, by the way. And one of my coworkers said, why don't you just, like, change the channel on the TV at Tire Warehouse? And I'm like, I can't. It's playing Bones. <laughs> and I, I'm surrounded by people who really seem to be, like, fans of this Bones rerun. And I don't want to be the jerk who switches it over to CNN. So, yeah, that's what happens when you're away from your newsroom during a big news event. It was very upsetting. Toby, any final thoughts about the Taint team before we move on? I would be interested in in hearing the uh, story behind why it is called a Taint team. Well, well, I think they don't want the evidence to be tainted. That's right. But it, there's got to be some connection between a taint and tainting something. <laughs> and I would well, like to know what that is, is and like then how that... Right? I um, mean, between... No, uh, I don't think that Toby actually knows the origin of the word taint in the vernacular in which we mean it. Toby, would you like to I know it? I think I do. It's a little area in between your anus and the uh, 
the base of your uh, scrotum. Right. Oh. And, uh, in other words, taint your ass, taint your balls. <laughs> Say a taint oh, show. Oh, got it. <laughs> oh, my God. Got it. But don't. See, I, no, I learned something new today. Yes. Yeah, I we all learned that. something. Kevin, want to just read that again we, real quick? What we <laughs> learned. <laughs> Adventures in mansplaining. <laughs> All right. Moving on yeah. uh, to a classier topic, shall we? We're going to give our first impressions of a brand new podcast that is sitting right at the top of the charts. It is called Death in Ice Valley. Some people take their secrets with them to the grave when they die. And some graves hold more secrets than others. There's one in particular in the main cemetery in Bergen, a city on the west coast of Norway. It's hidden under a rhododendron bush. You could walk right past it on the gravel path and you wouldn't know it was there. There's no headstone, no cross, no sign at all identifying who lies beneath. Death and Ice Valley is a joint production between the BBC World Service and Norway's public broadcaster, NRK. It looks at the mystery surrounding the body of a woman found in Norway's Isdaland Valley in 1970. Only one episode is out so far, so we're not going to be giving away any spoilers. But what are we hearing so far from the show? The Independent calls, surprise, the BBC's answer to Serial. Let's just talk about that first. Um, do you guys think this whole, quote, answer to cereal thing, it's, it's time to, to put that away? Oh, I think everybody's thing is their answer to cereal. <laughs> <laughs> They're a little late to the party. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's been what, four years, three years? Yeah, three, three good years. Three very good years. Uh, so, yes, I think that um, we should just stop it with that comparison. Anyway, it is an interesting uh, partnership, a mix of cultures. We have two uh, hosts here, a British host. Host, and a female journalist from Norway who, it sounds like, uh, has a, a, an accent. Nor- English is not her first language. <laughs> um, perhaps she does. Perhaps. But what do you think of this mix of, of cultures, Toby, this partnership between this British documentarian and this Norwegian journalist? It, it seems fine. It's just, it's a funny podcast. Mm-hmm. You don't mean funny haha, right? Well, in some points I was laughing out loud, although I'm not sure if it was intentional. <laughs> like, like it's rare that you like hear a reporter so obviously winded mm. on air. <laughs> like when he w- walks to the top of that mountain or whatever it is, and he's like clearly like just gassed. <laughs> I mean, you talk about transparency. They weren't even willing to give him like 30 seconds to catch his breath. It was just... <laughs> Start talking. <laughs> um, it's funny you should say that because actually a very different impression of that whole scene, which I'll share in a minute. Yeah. So I, you know, I think there was a little bit of when he's commenting about the weather and stuff like, uh, 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 but for the most part, you know, it was an interesting choice to do it that way because I don't think you necessarily needed to, mm-hmm. but I, I do think uh, it works well. Yeah. I actually like the Norwegian reporter a lot. I, I kind of think... I don't, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I'm sure I know it's a partnership. That's probably why he's also in it. But the fact that she has an accent and you have to really listen to her talking, to me, it's compelling because she's, you know, you have to work a little bit and it's not a barrier. It actually adds to the atmosphere of the show. But um, speaking of atmosphere, <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the things it would be criminal for us not to talk about is the sound design on the show. There is a tremendous... Oh, about sound design of the show. <laughs> Kevin, do you want to just explain the difference between sound effects, sound design, background sound, and sound design? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, sound effects are things that are artificially uh, inserted in uh, TVs, movies, that kind of thing. It's sometimes referred to as Foley. Foley is the kind of sound effect that is that is created live by a, an artist who will you know, uh, actually uh, stomp on a floor to create that, that sound effect sound, right? Uh, sound is... There you go. I hear Toby doing a little bit of... Uh, uh, that was a horse galloping. It was a horse gallop. No, it wasn't. <laughs> so there are professionals that do that. We actually have a foley box in the next room. You, yeah, you should go get some of your things and make some. Maybe, foley. maybe later I will. Uh, the other thing that you know we're talking about here for sound design is sort of um, what is sometimes referred to as natural sound or raw sound 
or wild sound, which all means the same thing. It's just the ambient sound that you hear when you're out in the field or in a room or just anything else that sort of capture that isn't dialogue. And it usually that's, you know, when it's captured naturally or, or even when it's, you know, overlaid in, in certain ways, it achieves an effect, right? It, uh, it adds, uh, you know, it, it adds a sense of place or urgency or time or whatever when it's, when it's used the right way. Uh, so I think what we're going to talk about is rain. <laughs> you think? Yes. <laughs> Carl, does it start to look familiar? Yes. I know. I've been here before. We certainly we weren't in the mixing studio, and I kind of doubt that BBC World Service would grab a CD and start playing, you know, sound effects from the African rainforest in the middle of a podcast. Right. Uh, so, like Riders on the Storm. Like Riders on a Storm. <laughs> I actually was thinking it, but my God, I can't believe you said that. Yeah. I actually kept. There's thinking an awful about lot of rain now. Right. I mean, like you know this, Rebecca. When you when you're in a, in a, 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 no, a noisy environment, when you're not in a acoustically dead space, right. right? Where you got rain or street noise or whatever. After you do the interview with somebody, you ask them, you record 60 seconds of just what we call room tone. Room tone or silence or, or whatever. whatever. So you're getting that sound and it's used so that for editing purposes that you could lay it down. So you can glue it between glue it things you edit. Because, you know, uh, when people talk and they take a breath and you edit like all those things together, it's seamless. But if you hear... The things in the background, those aren't also going to mesh well right. with one another unless you kind of... Like restaurant noises kinda, is a good example. Yeah, or like right. uh, street noises, like honking horns. You'll hear that stop and start. Right. Uh, so this is like a blanket that just kind of goes over it that kind of brings everything together. Uh, and there's quite a bit of that. There is. Quite a bit. I mean, the story itself, it's real upon riddle. There are a lot of people who have been trying to, to solve this mystery for years. I think... I mean, I, I can't, I didn't time it. I'm just going to make a guesstimate, like 35% of the first episode has has very yeah. loud rain noises behind uh-huh. it. So I kind of want to hate it, but I kind of like it um, because I think it worked in the situation because it sounded authentic to me. It, but I was just, at first I was like, seriously, couldn't they tape on another day? I mean, this <laughs> rain seems to be like, how much fun is it for them to be trekking out there to where this woman was found murdered? in the pouring rain, but maybe it was the rainy season. I don't know. It's Norway. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Norway. <laughs> so I I liked it because it was a little bit over the top. But then again, I also do listen to soundscapes when I go to sleep at night. Yeah. And I like to listen to the pouring rain thing that helps me go to sleep. So I'm kind of used to it. But this sounded a lot more real right. than the thing I listen to, which is like somebody in a shower recording. So it's funny that you should use the word real because, you know, I... I don't know how they produce this podcast, but when I was listening to it, it I had a lot of actually technical questions about it. Uh, first of all, one question I have is like, what the hell kind of microphones the BBC use, not just in the field, but in the studio? Because it's just sort of an audio quality to BBC stuff. It has almost like a um, whistly, like a uh, very crisp quality. It sounds very different from what I think of as like the warmth of American public radio. It has like a... Um, I don't know, it's not compression. EQ differently. Yeah, it is EQ differently. The yeah. higher register yeah. is, is tweaked up. Do you hear that, Kevin? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. But then I also had a question about all those scenes in the in the rain because there were three p- characters we heard. There was the woman reporter, the documentarian, and their subject, who was the old cop. Yeah. And they're ostensibly walking on this trail or something. I never really described what they're walking on, but they sound like they are just like us in a studio talking into a microphone. Like their voices sound very intimately mic'd. And we have this. I think we should do it like this all the time. (laughs) And we have this like sheaf of loud rain happening behind them. And there's also some um, exposition happening here. Like the reporter will say something like, you know, we're walking toward this or we're doing this. And I wonder if they mix together studio stuff with field You had a hard stuff. time distinguishing between what was probably done in the field yes. and what was done afterwards. I because kn- there was kind of- I yeah. know some of it was done yeah. in a studio. Some of it's scripted. But I think they used the sound design so much that I think as a listener, we're supposed to think it was all recorded outside, but it, I just don't think it could have been. I, I don't want to say- I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the, the choice that they made. 
But it, to me, it stuck out only because that's the way that I listen to shows like this. Um, but one other thing that stuck out to me about this podcast is they have this case, which we haven't talked about at all. Yeah. Uh, this uh, dead woman who was found in this valley. All the labels were cut out of her clothing. Her body was burned. Uh, it's a huge mystery, apparently, in Bergen, Norway. And they are going to try to solve it by making a podcast about it. And they say that on the show. Kevin, thoughts? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they are, you know, they're setting that up. Yeah. They are very transparent about, come on, let's, uh, we're hoping that with this podcast we'll find something out. And I'm, part of me is kind of like, uh, okay, did you listen to anything more than Serial? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that's kind of a big swing because that's the kind of promise that almost always falls on its face and makes these things disappointments um, from a narrative sense. Now, uh, I'm thinking, you know, they've been working on this for a while, so maybe they have more than they think, than we think and mm-hmm. understand, and maybe they're a lot closer, but just sort of a, we don't know who this woman was who died 50 years ago, maybe you can help, <laughs> is, is a little, uh, is a little amateurish. People from that time period are actually from the Cold War going to be listening to a podcast. Yeah, I, I think it might, it might, it might <laughs> yeah. be more about the missing person thing, right? Like, yeah, well, but the missing person. I mean, I mean it, that time. That's the time frame we're talking about. This is a long time ago, right? So, I guess my question is, who's still around? Who knows anything about it? Right. Maybe, maybe there'll be some science. Toby, what do you think? I basically agree with Kevin, which is that's it's not a great model mm-hmm. for putting your podcast together. The fact that the BBC is doing it makes it seem a little even stranger, mm, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe they've got something in their pocket that they're going to pull out. It's a little bit like making more a Murray and they're sort of like, come on, guys, listen and help us. Mm. Which, again, it seems kind of strange for like one of the, you know, world's prominent journalism outfits. If they have a one with a psychic, I am fucking out. I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah. It's the BBC. They're not going to do that. (laughs) So, Toby, one of the comments you sent me, uh, you felt like all the information conveyed in episode one could have been conveyed in seven minutes. You stand by that? Is anybody going to, like, debate me on nope, it? Nope, I'm not going to debate well, you on it. Yeah, no. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's like it was, I, I like the it experience. Was, I, I'll debate you, Toby. The thing that reminded me of was all that shit about the dogs and someone knows something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, if you're into that, maybe that's fun, but that's not a true crime thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it felt like when I was in, like, ninth grade and I didn't know much and I was just, like, trying to write one page on an essay <laughs> and just filled it up with a bunch of, like, shit. And it seemed kind of like that. It's like we got to fill up X number of minutes. So let's just kind of pad it as much as possible. Plus, the thing I can't believe we haven't talked about yet is like all that cut rate Enya stuff they have in there. (laughs) (laughs) That was driving me bananas. I like the music. Sorry, Toby. I like the Norwegian music. I do. But Toby and Laura, you're both right. Toby's right that, yeah, this all could have been summed up very quickly. And that's a very American storytelling technique. And I think that, you know, they're one is they're, they're, they're doing a storytelling technique that is very British. And I'm assuming, you know, Scandinavian. I think it, it's a little more of, of that. We've been saying we want a little more of, of something different. But I, I think that and I don't know the name of the guy from BBC World Service, but he identified himself as a documentarian. Yep. And when Toby said the thing about someone knows something season one, also David Ridgen. Ridgen, he is also a documentarian. Yep. And I feel like there that is that sensibility. That is the thing that they would do with video. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Where you would just sort of, yeah. you know, luxuriate some beautiful photos. Sweeping landscapes. Sweeping stuff like that. Drone footage. Right. I don't think I got lost in this episode in that. I, But I mean, I do think that that's kind of the sensibility they're bringing. So it's a slower story. And I kept asking myself sort of like, oh, this is slow. But I'm like, well, I mean, wouldn't I want to set it up this way? Yeah, okay, and I keep going. So I kind of keep reluctantly going on saying the things that I find deficient are actually just parts of a different style of storytelling. Right. Stay with it. So, Laura, are you going to listen to episode two of Death and Ice Valley? I am. Yeah, I liked it. And and I have to say, the day I listened to it, it's kind of funny. It was like the day I was walking inside on the treadmill because it was like, 
pouring rain like buckets here in New Hampshire. So I was in the mood for rain, I guess. Yeah, I, I actually, I think I'll probably listen to episode two. I, I If episode two has more information, I really do want to know about those suitcases that they talk about at the very end of episode one. Uh, I want the next seven minutes of information. I'm willing to stick around for another half an hour to hear it. If it moves somewhere, I will listen some more, but I'm definitely going to give episode two a try. Toby, what about you? You out or you in for more I, A Death in Ice Valley? I think I'm not going to listen to it, but I'm going to let you give me the seven-minute rundown. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be a fun segment on the show, playing some like Scandinavian uh, cut-rate Enya, as Toby would call it, and just describing what happened in this week's episode of Death and Ice <laughs> This episode, they were in a bus, and all you heard was bus noise. <laughs> One guy got a little bit sick because of all the fumes. <laughs> and I heard him cough a few times, but they made him keep talking. That guy's in rough shape. <laughs> so, Kevin, Death and Ice Bell, are you going to give it any more tries or are you out? Yeah, no, I think that I am... I'm not out yet. I'm going to listen. Keep listening. These are two really great organizations, BBC World Service and uh, Norwegian broadcaster it's a N- nrk nrk and so you know i think that they'll probably come up you know with something good for this journey and i'm going to say that if you do hike in the rain yep you do want your feet to feel good so you need bombas socks oh that's a very good choice to wear in one of those rainy hikes in that ice valley death valley hike that's right if you're hiking or you're running trying to catch the bus mm-hmm. uh those are the kinds of things that you need a really great comfortable pair of socks and you get those from Bombas, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They sure are. They're made from premium cotton. Bombas stays warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And every pair comes with a built-in blister tab. Mm. Which Look at Rebecca. It's this thing right here. It's my favorite feature of the sock. Yeah, basically so you can keep it like it doesn't like go. That's my second favorite feature. My first favorite feature is the way it hugs the arch of your foot. Mm-hmm. It actually like has arch support Yeah, it has in the innovative sock. arch support. It's amazing. Stay-up technology. And look, also a seamless... Toe. Oh, I know. You wear it in boots and everything. Yeah. You know, now, for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair of socks to somebody in need, which is great. They've already donated 7 million pairs of socks so far. Imagine you're like down on your luck. You know, maybe wait, your house burns down or mm-hmm. you wind up homeless for yeah. some reason. Yeah. All the things that you need, you never think about socks. But socks you need are like the socks. most important thing. Yeah. You do. And, and it's a really important item. And, and so thank you, Bombas for doing that. I feel good when I put my socks on knowing that somebody else in need is also wearing a really awesome pair of socks. To buy your new socks, you go to bombas.com slash crime and you will get 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime for 20% off bombas.com slash crime. You hear Laura writing that promo code down right now? Well... I just got some new Bomba socks. They have some socks with little grippers on the bottom. Oh, yeah. You can wear them around the house and, and not slide around. Well, I'm going to tell you where I wear them. So I do bar class at the gym. And um, sometimes it's hard when you're like moving around and you're on, in bare feet on the floor. It's really nice to have something like that on so you don't fall on your ass in front of everybody in bar class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're stylish and you look good and they're comfortable. We also have the no-show socks so yep. that if you want to wear those and don't see anything except ankle. Uh, you can get those. What's the URL again? It's bombus.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, if you've uh, never heard of digital eye strain, chances are you've experienced the effects. Those are like eye fatigue, dry eyes, migraines. So when you do, you want to protect your eyes with Felix Gray computer glasses. You can keep doing the things that you love to do, like stare at a screen and edit Laura swears out of podcasts. <laughs> I don't edit them out. I add more in. <laughs> <laughs> well, Felix Gray computer glasses are the stylish way to protect your eyes. The lenses are specially designed to filter blue lights and eliminate glare from screens, which are the two main culprits of digital eye strain. I at work have a big window behind me. Yep. So, and I have, you know, a flat screen, so it does reflect the light. You know, not like a mirror, but just it gets bright, and so when you're looking at it, it really starts to wear you down. It's the worst thing, and Felix Grey glasses help me see again without giving me a headache. Everyone can benefit from wearing a pair of Felix Grays. No prescription necessary, and all orders ship free with free returns. So you've got nothing to lose. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash crime to try a pair of Felix Gray glasses today. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. Felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. Moving on. Masterpiece on PBS is now airing the limited British crime series Un. Forgotten. People pretend to be one thing for half a century and then turn out to be something else. I know what you did! 
blackmail by young adult. We treat this as a crime scene. I want to find who caused a pain that's very much alive today, and I want to punish them. 39 years later. No statute of limitations on murder. So Masterpiece on PBS is where this series is airing, which means, of course, that amazing Darlene Shiley, who's always super pumped to intro the show in her sparkly jacket, uh, is here for us. The series, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to mention it. She's the rich lady. I think it's, isn't Pee Wee Herman the one who intros it? No, no it's Alan Cumming. That's not Pee Wee Herman. That's Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming is the new Laura Linney. <laughs> Alan Cumming, the great British actor, and he's he has replaced the great American actress Laura Linney. But I'm talking about Darlene if they ever Shiley. do a British Pee Wee Herman, he'll be the guy, though. <laughs> Don't you remember his star performance in Josie and the Pussycats? <laughs> was he in I think that? I have it on he my was. brain because of that show we just watched. With yeah, Pee-wee Herman. listen, I'm sorry. listen. PBS masterpiece has brought us many things. It's brought us Laura Linney in a role where she just stands there and says something. Mm-hmm. It's brought us uh, not Pee Wee Herman, but Alan Cumming. It's brought us the Viking River Cruise commercials. Oh, my God. Which I cannot get enough of. And it has brought us the amazing Darlene Shiley, who is the rich lady who sponsors PBS Masterpiece. And I am fascinated by her. Anyway, Unforgotten, it follows- Can we do an hour on uh, Viking cruises sometime? (laughs) Listen, if we got- I love the commercial. It's like, go to the town and rent this jolly old man. You know I got into a rabbit hole the other night of Viking ocean cruises. Oh, Jesus. Because they have the river cruises that we always used to see in Downton Abbey where basically you and a bunch of very rich 70-year-olds cruise down the Thames or whatever and look at a lot of landmarks and maybe get off the boat once or twice to like go to a flower shop, which is what they always show. But now they have the ocean cruises, which have amazing destinations. Anyway, I digress. Let's go back to Unforgotten, shall we? Well, I guess I can't do this carnival cruise ad next. No, no. That's full. Anybody here who works at Viking Ocean Cruises is listening, we would love you to be a sponsor on this damn Crime podcast. Crime on yes. theme cruise. <laughs> I'm Viking. all over that, man. Up the Rhine. We could do the Scandinavian one. We go to Iceland from Bergen. They have a Bergen is one Did of the places. Did you take your ADD medication today? Because I think <laughs> Iceland from Norway is a uh, is a hike. Yeah, that's a cruise they do. It's like a 15 day cruise. You just spend the whole time out in the open ocean? Okay, can we get back to this show, please? (laughs) By the way, my parents are right now on a cruise in uh, the Loire Valley. Good for them. With Pee Wee Herman. Are they on a Viking River cruise? (laughs) I don't know if it's, I don't think it's Viking. Are they on a river? Okay. They are on a river. I've had a security breach. (laughs) Oh, there's cats. This whole show has gone off the rails. This is about as far off the rails as I think we've ever gone. What's fun about tonight's show is that because of the way the week worked out, I have a very limited time to edit it. So there's an excellent chance all of this will remain in the show. Just want to apologize to our listeners right now, especially those who joined us after reading Nick Qua's amazing story in which he described me as like a thought leader in true crime podcasting. Anyway... Unforgotten. The series follows Detective Chief Inspector Cassie Stewart, played by frequent BBC player Nicola Walker, as she tries to solve the decades-old mystery of a skeleton found in a clay basement. The investigation into the cold case involves a diverse group of characters who may have had a hand in the crime, then went on with their lives. The mystery series first aired on ITV in 2015, but it is just getting to the U.S. now. PBS has combined the original six episodes of season one into three longer episodes. So we are now two thirds of the way through it after the first two, and we don't quite know who done it. But we will be talking about some plot points. So if you want to skip ahead to our spoiler free thumbs up or thumbs down review, you can find that time code right in our show notes. We start the series by meeting half a dozen characters with no seeming connection until later. Some complain that this show has a slow start. Uh, it's a complicated story with a need to get the action going. How do you balance that? Laura, what do you think? I actually watched the first episode twice for specifically that reason. And the second time I watched it, it started. To, it felt um, better to me. Because you're watching this and you're seeing my favorite scene so far. The priest driving along in the car singing at the top of his lungs. The, the story of my yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and then he put it's it that was great, and and so we have him. We have this this old kind of 
kind of cranky guy in a wheelchair. We have the woman who's like mentoring what seems to be the young soccer player. And then we have a guy who seems to be kind of like the up and coming sort of, I, I don't know if he's in parliament or what, you know, but he's he's clearly somebody important. And I'm like, who, who are these people? So in the beginning, I, I was like, this. it did feel slow to me, but... I think when you continue watching and everything starts to play out, it actually works very well. It's just in the beginning. You kind of have to like put aside the fact that you have no idea who these people are, who they're connected to, if they know each other, what they're doing here. We actually recently reviewed another show that had a similar setup and I think did it more effectively than this one. I'm not saying this is bad. That show Dark from Netflix, uh, right. the German show, yes. which we watched did a very similar thing where it introduced you to a ton of people and then the connection between them was revealed later through the timeline thing, which was a very interesting and sudden way to do it where you're in a moment we're just like, this approach it differently. Toby, how do you feel about the pace of the first episode and how they set up all these disparate stories? Yeah, well, I I hadn't thought about the dark thing, but that's you're you're exactly right. And I think dark is 10 times as clever. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it was fine. It worked for me. I think they did it. It's a hard thing to do. And I think they gave enough to kind of get you interested in each one of the storylines. I don't, I think as time went on, you know, some emerged as as better than others. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, the beginning, I guess it wasn't the best part, but at least there, it wasn't like certain people wouldn't show up and I'd be like, oh God, here we go. (laughs) And just kind of wait for that part to end so we could get to like something I was more interested in. Right. For a tough thing to do, uh, I, I thought they, they, they did a good job in that that really it starts to weaken as it goes along. Now, Laura, uh, Nicola or Nicola, I'm not 100% sure how it's pronounced, Walker uh, yes. is, yes. is uh, somebody who we've seen over and over and over again on many shows. Yes. Imported yes. from across the pond, including River. River. And other things that you've watched, you love her, right? I do. You know, what I love about her is she's she's really good. Like, and I don't know if this is just me, like, stereotyping the way that they cast people in, like, British series. But I feel like they cast people that look, like, normal, that look realistic, like, that seem authentic in terms of the roles that they put them in. And so she's she's very subtle in the way that she plays the roles, but she's not so subtle in that she's really good at conveying things with her face and her eyes, but in a very in a very realistic way, mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel like it's overacted or anything. Right. Um, the other show that she's in that is one of my favorites. I just watched the Christmas special a few weeks ago. Is Last Tango in Halifax? <laughs> Have you guys watched that? No. That is so fun, and she she's like working the farm in that one um, with her father, who's like reconnected with his high school sweetheart through Facebook. Um, after his wife dies and 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 she's troubled in that show and she's she just really does such a good job and I loved her in this show it's like James Norton it's just like there's certain actors and actresses that seem to show up and it seems like I don't know if they're drawing from a smaller pool but it seems like all the actors and actresses (laughs) that I like like I'm like oh wait a minute I just saw this person in another British show that I watched. Yeah. Um, I, so. I, I know there are thousands of working actors in the UK. I know it, but it does seem like we've seen the same, like maybe 30, like <laughs> <laughs> everything that we watch. All right. So, Kevin, one nice change here. I mean, I think it's really refreshing and it's something actually we don't see in a lot of American uh, police procedurals and dramas. Mm-hmm. We have a, a team of police here who are just really good at their jobs. And we just see them doing like standard police work, canvassing, going back and re-interviewing witnesses, making connections on the phone, doing research. And our lead here, DCI Cassie Stewart, she has a backstory. Like her kids are in college, lives with her dad. Her dad's going through like a thing, which is maybe going to come up later. I don't know. But like she doesn't have that thing that so many lead detectives have in these stories, the tragic backstory. The dark look on life and... Yeah, like it, it, the I, I lost my child in a flood, and so I am infused. We talked with pain. about this during seven seconds yep. with uh, that cop. You know him being sort of very fish, uh, fish, 
right, being sort of very, you know, uh, happy-go-lucky because, right, we almost always see the cop as sort of beaten down and having PTSD or just uh, a black soul because of all the shit they've seen. But in British shows, it's very often like a tragedy. It's like the the, the tragic shooting death of a spouse, the uh tragic loss of a child. They lost their partner, and uh, there was that one case that they never solved. Right, yeah, look, I think that instead, and this is, you know, against... So far, two episodes, or really four out of six episodes. Anyway, uh, what we've seen is that they just let the cops be cops, mm-hmm. and that doesn't make them robots, and it doesn't make it a clinical procedural. Mm-hmm. But right, they don't feel the need to throw a lot of that in. There is this family storyline with uh, uh, with her father and the dead mother. But oh you know, it just yeah. <laughs> which, which Toby hated so much that he wrote to me about. He did, yeah, Toby, you but didn't love that plot line, right? It better have a huge, huge payoff at some point because (laughs) it seems totally beside the point. It seems like it's just, it's trying to give her some like side story. Yeah. And maybe there's supposed to be, you know, some commentary on trust in her own life versus the, the investigation and stuff. But if that's the case, it's not very good. It's both ham-handed and not very direct, so. But don't you think that it could be because she's talking to a bunch of people who've also been lying to their spouses for a long time, right? Isn't that, like, what it's about? Yeah. Yeah. You've got all these elderly people that at first blush... You're like, oh, okay, this is an old guy in a wheelchair. Oh, okay, this is this. But then, you know, this guy's a priest who likes to sing in his car. And then as you get into it and you find out who they were when they were younger, they're, they've all got flawed backgrounds. They've all been lying. Over- so, so it's the point that like all old people no, have like I, shit in their backgrounds? No. Because that's the only thing that it gets to me to. I think she's going to figure something out because of what her dad, I mean, that's what I'm I think the guy that slept with her dead mom is the killer. That's I think terrible. it's Toby's payoff. How awesome! I, I do too. See, that I would be that would be a worthwhile. And then maybe it's and then maybe it's one of the guys, you know. But can we please talk but, about the storyline with the couple where the guys in the wheelchair? It is yes. fascinating, Toby. What yes. do you think about that storyline? One of the suspects is this old guy in a wheelchair. Yep. He has a wife who has dementia by all indication. They have two grown children live in a house together, and at first blush. He is wanting to keep her at home, wanting to take care of her, maybe like a little bit outside of his capability because he's in a wheelchair and she has dementia and she keeps saying crazy things. So she wants to go someplace safe. And it turns out he's a horrible spousal abuser. What do you think of that storyline, Toby? I think that was the best of the storylines, quite honestly, because I think it's sort of the, I guess it's both the most complex and then unpredictable or out of the ordinary. And I think the the character of the, the husband, the combination of the writing of it and then the guy's acting is really, really good, I think. I he's he's like a recognizable he's like the type of guy who is at work and like knows it all, you know? And who's just like just a pain in the ass to talk to all the time <laughs> because he's he thinks he's got it figured out. He's kind of unctuous and stuff. And then the complexities of dementia. In some things, you can be completely confused about. And then in other things, you can be absolutely aware and accurate. And then there's other things that you have like a sense of, but are confused as well. I think that all kind of plays out pretty well in that in that the character of the woman and then in the way that particularly her sons aren't quite sure how to react to different things. And it, it really kind of takes a crisis moment for them to kind of get that, you know, she's not scared because she's confused. Right. And it's not the kind of thing where, you know, if only mom didn't have dementia, it would be okay. Right. I thought that was the strongest of all the storylines. I don't disagree. I think that's also the strongest of the storylines. And I think the other the other storyline they're trying to play as a strong storyline is a story about the older interracial couple. The wife is Lizzie. She is the uh, former alleged skinhead when she was a teenager at the time of the murder of this uh, skeleton that they found 
in this clay basement, and she's now married to a black man. They have had kids together. One, we know at least one of them son. died, yeah. and uh, they're also mentoring this young black boy who's uh, comes from a council estate, as I know to call it. I read a ton of British mystery books. Uh, who's you know tr- trying to excel in school, and this is a really complicated thing. And she ends up having to confess to her family and to him that her husband and to him that. She used to be a racist and cavort with racists. I think they're trying to make a lot of hay of that story. Kevin, how do you think that one is is going? Is that interesting to you? It is. I you know I don't see how this woman could hide the tattoos on her hands with rings from her husband for twenty fifth thirty years. Yeah. I, uh, I that kind of stretches in my credulity level. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where that one's going to go because she seems really. Unexpectedly complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, she she looks kind of dopey because you know she she dresses kind of frumpy and, but you know to to try to think of her as a young girl in the national front was it the national front? Yep. yep. Was the yeah? Yep. You know, you're like, what was her change? What was her transformation? That's an interesting question that I'd like to see them tackle. I'm sure they will. Laura, you wrote me a note and you talked about sort of the quiet study of the people on this show, the man in the wheelchair, the son who takes care of them, the mother with dementia, how they interact, etc. Do you think that this show is trying to be a character study at the same time that they're also trying to tell the story about race? They're also trying to show this police procedural. They're also trying to get into the heads of these cops. Is that what's going on? Is this is it trying to be both of those things? I don't know if it's trying to be both of those things or if it's just the style that the British mysteries take where it's a lot slower in the way that they're laying out the layers and there's a lot more closer inspection and kind of and look at the the characters that are involved and you get um, this very sort of poignant window into their lives. And so you do have more of a character study in terms of all the different characters that are involved and the way that they pause on each of these people. And um, I like it. I mean, I think it's it's really, it gives a, a much more authentic and realistic feeling to the people that you're watching as you're you're really becoming more invested in the story, I think. Now, Laura, I'm looking at my, I, I pulled out my phone and I'm looking at my Audible app right now to see, because, you know, you can look at like all the books that you've yeah. downloaded in the last like forever. And I yes. am looking at uh, Peter May, Stuart McBride, Anne Cleves, Elizabeth George. Yes, uh, they're Ian very similar. Rankin. I mean, basically, this is the only thing that I listen to is you yes. know UK centric uh, <laughs> mysteries, whether they're British or Scottish or Irish. I kind of think I am used to this because this is what I listen to. Yeah. I am even used to the convention of, you know, you've got a DCI and you have their DC with them and you know the DC is going to drive because the DCI doesn't drive, even if it's their own car. And you know about the rights and you know about all the sort of procedural stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a different pace of, it's not just a different pace of story time, it's also a different pace of policing mm-hmm. uh, in the way these stories are told. Kevin, you only know about this tangentially because I listen to it on Audible when I'm in the bathroom taking a shower in the morning and you have to hear it. <laughs> um, as someone who is, doesn't read these books or listen to them, when you watch a British mystery, do you feel like it's it's outside of the balance for you or, or can you get in? Uh, well, first of all, the, uh, DCI Stewart is driving her own car, so I guess that's a break. Um, look, I think that you know I've seen enough British procedurals and, and you know in miniseries and whatnot to kind of get a sense that yeah it's a, it's different there than it is here, but I you know I still think that it has um, a real British flavor nonetheless. It's in London, but it doesn't seem like it's set in London. It doesn't do the thing where you know you you know there's like these long luxurious shots of you know the, the Tower of London and like the you know the sprawling downtown it's it's just is focused in all these little sections it's just kind of contained to the story in a very kind of tight way mm. that I like mm. Well, I, I I just think that what we should do now is say to our listeners like should you check it out so I'm gonna ask you all now. Give your thumbs up or thumbs down review. We've watched two episodes of the show Unforgotten on PBS Masterpiece, but originally, obviously, from ITV in the UK. Laura Bricker, do you give Unforgotten a thumbs up or thumbs down? And would you recommend that our listeners check it out? Thumbs up. And yes, check it out. You've got a great cast of characters. Um, the supporting detective who's the assistant to Nicola Walker, I'm not sure we mentioned him at all. He's also very good in this. I like it. Fireman Ken, not so happy that I'm, you know, turning on these British shows again because he's like, ah, <laughs> oh, 
another mystery. But I think it's great. And it's and it's only three episodes. And yes, they're long. But I, I think it's it's a good story. It's got lots of layers. And it's going to be, I'm hoping, satisfying when we find out who the killer was. Hmm. What do you think, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Unforgotten on Masterpiece on PBS? Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I, I've enjoyed it. I think there's... It's a little uneven, and there's a uh, few moments of like I, what I thought were kind of lazy storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, which was a little frustrating. But you know, for the most part, I, I enjoyed it and would recommend it with a thumbs up. I'm right there with you, Toby. I give it a thumbs up. I think there are weak points, but I do like Nicola Walker an awful lot, and I do like watching British cops do their British thing. I can't help it; it's in my bones now. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Also, uh, what about you, Kevin? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Unforgotten? Yeah, I'm thumbs up. I can't wait to see the last episode. It does start slow, but I think if you power through that first half hour and you can kind of get everybody tethered as to who these different characters are Trust and how us, they fit it in. Connects. It's going to it's gonna take off from there. And I would tell people if they haven't watched it, when you watch it, remember, it's called Unforgotten. And memory is a recurring theme in the story about things that people say they remember and then they can't remember. So watch that and think about it in that way. Keep that in mind. I think you'll enjoy it even more. And when they do someday rebuild that hostel, they're mm-hmm. knocking down, yep. which where they found that body. Yep. I hope when they rebuild it, yep. when it comes time to decorate it, they will use Havenly. I'm certain they will. <laughs> Havenly is the easiest and most affordable way to do some designing in your home. Their team of designers works with you online to design a living space for your dreams using your budget and your style to shape the design that you want at a price you can afford. And then you can buy what you love directly through Havenly's platform of retailers and, and guaranteed prices. We wanted to get some tips from Havenly about what to do with our dining room. Yep. Sent them a photo, talked with their advisors gave us some ideas for wall art, yep. which was actually pretty good because I'm always like, hey, those kindergarten uh, paintings are not modern art. So, oh, I'm getting a dirty look. Yeah, sorry, you are. <laughs> but you're not wrong. So you all have those Pinterest boards where you throw all your ideas out there about what you want to do with a certain space. Maybe you got a troubled space. Maybe you're like, Laura, you got this crazy L room you don't know anything L-shaped to do with. Room, yep. Yeah, we'll turn that Pinterest board into a reality. Try Havenly today by visiting Havenly.com slash crime. Crime. And you can get 25% off your design package. That's Havenly, H-A-V-E-N-L-Y.com slash crime. Crime. For 25% off your design package. Havenly.com slash crime. Crime. What else you got, Kevin? So how about your own stylist giving you a great look and a rotating wardrobe of awesome... I like that. Yeah, it's La Tote. Oh, it is. You can get a box of fashion delivered right to your door and always have something to wear. Basically, you're renting up to $300 worth of clothing from designer brands for as little as $59 a month. Rebecca, Latote has saved you money when you look at it <laughs> yeah. while still giving you fresh looks, right? Yeah, because like, it keeps me from wanting to like run by the store to buy something new for that thing we're doing because I always have something that I've never worn before hanging around the house because I got it in my Latote. Latote has some great stylists that work with you, figure out your style and things that you like. They send you a bunch of great stuff and you wear what you like, send back what you don't, keep what you do, just pay for that. Or you can just, hey, just keep trying new outfits yeah. and, and people will be like, man, you're a million bucks and you're like, no, I'm just Latote. Go to Latote, that's L-E-T-O-T-E dot com to get started. Enter promo code CRIME, CRIME at checkout, and you'll get 50% off your first month. Ooh, that's a good deal. From there, you'll get your completely customized tote within days. Wear it all, and when you're done, return the rest in the mail. As soon as it gets in the mail, they're already shipping you another one. You so fast. I love it. Mm-hmm. Again, that's letote.com. Enter the code CRIME, CRIME and always have something new to wear. And now it's time for Rebecca's favorite part of the show, a little thing she likes to call the crime of the week. You may have noticed a little tone of despair in my voice this week. It's because I've been anticipating this segment. (laughs) Every once in a while in America, somebody acts like such an asshole (laughs) that it grabs the nation's attention. And just now, that asshole happens to live in the town where I live. (gasps) And that's why you're reading the crime of the week this week, Toby? That's why I'm reading the crime of the week this week. Because I know some of the people involved, although none of the people we're going to be talking about here, and they were all good guys in this situation. But anyway, here's the sad story. And keep in mind, 
these are all just unproven allegations. <laughs> okay. How do you make a quiet, generally reasonable town look like a bunch of jerks? <laughs> well, one way might be to have adults talk about having an 11-year-old girl assaulted for the audacity of wanting to play Little League baseball. <gasps> the Oyster River Little League baseball draft was held on March 21st at Libby's Bar and Grill, where you can find me every other Friday at lunch having a club sandwich with my friend Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Is this, detail. An, is this an on week or an off week at Libby's Bar and Grill for you? This team? is an off week, so okay. don't... Next yeah. week. All right, okay, go ahead. Next week. It opens at 11, so you can start forming a line at like 1030. <laughs> Hear that, stalkers? Um, okay, allegedly, there's that word again. One of the coaches, a guy named Jeff Robar, was perturbed that a girl, of all things, had signed up to play baseball. <gasps> For those of you outside the U.S., girls have traditionally played a game called softball, which is a lot like baseball, but with a bigger ball. And boys have played baseball. It's also, by the way, a different game. <laughs> it is a different game. It's sort of like, it, it's kind of like squash and racquetball. Mm. It's like got a lot of similarities, but it's not quite the same thing. Anyway, Robar was overheard by at least two people saying that if the girl was put on his team, he would have another child, quote, bean her right in the ear hole, and she'll quit instantaneously. So for our foreign listeners, I will translate. He's basically (laughs) saying that he'll have a pitcher hit her in the head intentionally to get her to quit. Mm. Also, allegedly, members of the league administration were present and did not speak up. (gasps) No. So all around not good. And the other thing is that it's like, not unusual at all to have girls on little league teams. Right, right. Like my son played three years and there was a girl on his team every right. year. Right, yeah. right. So it's just, it's not all that unusual. But how many times did your son try to hit her with a baseball? <laughs> Intentionally? Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the Durham Town Council, which oversees Oyster River Youth Sports, is withholding funding from the little league until this case is resolved. Mm. And Major League Baseball is actually weighed in as well. Good. So the question is, in retaliation, what can female athletes and coaches do to get men to quit or avoid sports? Who are you going to start with? Oh, that's right. I've got a lot of power this time. <laughs> Let me think. Who's been especially good in this podcast? Rebecca, why don't you go ahead? I think that women and girls should tell boys and men that if they play sports, they might get a cold because that is apparently the worst thing that can happen to a man <laughs> is having a cold. Like the thing that I just go to work with and I am completely fine, you know, maybe complaining, maybe taking NyQuil or DayQuil. It's like men and boys are just like, oh, I'm going to die. So I think they should tell them that uh, if they play baseball, they're going to get a cold. Okay. Yeah, that's probably actually true. Um, Kevin. <laughs> Um, I, by the way, I actually coached a girls softball team when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and I can tell you that the, uh, the dad coaches are assholes like that. (laughs) Um, and I can see like if uh, they were doing baseball and there was one girl. Yeah. And I, by the way, I think female athletes go by another name, which is athletes. Yes. Uh, I would say, uh, cooties. (laughs) (laughs) Tabasco in the jockstrap? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just saying, just say you'll get cooties Uh, in general. Yeah. 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 Uh, Laura? I don't even have a good... I was going to say cooties too, but I, I don't really have a good answer. I mean, maybe, you know, the boys would be required to go to the uh, weekend team building friendship bracelet making uh, <laughs> yeah. event or something. I don't Sleepovers. know. What about you, Toby? And I would say two words, ban cups. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> then he'll get beans. Exactly. All Pork right, and beans. Laura Brigger, before we wrap up the show, do we have a cat of the week this week? <laughs> So I need some Foley, Kevin. All right. I need it to sound like clomping horse hooves. Ooh, oh, sure. wait, wait. We can actually do that. Hold on. No. <laughs> Toby, stop your amateur bullshit. That's actually a horse. No, it's not. We have uh. a real solution for this. Kevin's pulling out the Foley box. Wow, he's really this pulling is it com- oh, This is compelling footage. It is. <laughs> Turn it up really loud, like pouring rain. Let's <laughs> play some rain. Is this, like, this is like Limetown. Here, here's the fire. Yeah. Wait, what's that? That's fire. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. What Just else you got? Just a bamboo brush. Light bulb. Oh, what here. is that wine bottle for? Right, here's here's some brains, right? Squish Ew, rice. that's yeah. gross. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and wine bottle was like a cork. All right, so Laura, what did you need? We need like a li- some little clomping horse hooves. You've heard of Clara Pockets. Yeah. This week, 
I need to tell you about Polly Pockets. Okay. Okay, you can cease with Polly's clomping because Polly has done disappeared. <gasps> Polly, our listener, Michelle F. in Ireland, has alerted us to the plight of Polly Pockets. Oh my God. She is a very cute little mini pony who has been stolen from a local horse rescue in Dublin and she is missing. Polly Pockets. Somebody must know something about Polly Pockets. Polly Pockets. Polly Pockets was last seen on April 9th. She has a unique star on her head, a squiggle on her head. She's kind of like Harry Potter. She's Mm -hmm. got a little squiggle, like a lightning bolt. And they have, so anyway, she was at the My Lovely Horse Rescue. Her friend Wilbur the pig has put out a video asking for her safe return. Wilbur. So I'm hoping by this time next week that Polly Pockets isn't done disappeared anymore. Now, Kevin, that was a miniature horse. What would that sound like? A miniature horse? Yeah. (laughs) There you go. All right. We should probably. (laughs) And she's got a hashtag. Hashtag bring Polly Pockets home. Uh, all right, we should probably end it on that note. Uh, Laura Bricker, people want to send you their cats slash dogs slash animals slash miniature horses slash lizards for Cat of the Week. How can they reach you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if listeners want to reach out to you, perhaps on Twitter, to confirm that some of the residents of your wonderful town are, in fact, allegedly assholes, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, I can people reach you online. Perhaps look at your amazing interpretive dancing of the theme song from the Daily from the New York Times. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn, and I'm off! <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. We should also mention you can reach out to any of us at any time on the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. It is pretty awesome. Just search for it on Facebook. We'll let you in. We promise we will, even though it's pretty exclusive. You can also tweet to our show at Crime Writers on. Support us on Patreon.com and hear Toby's exclusive book club podcast and for other exclusive ad-free content, including our premium show, Married with Podcast, subscribe at StitcherPremium.com slash crime. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and Used with their permission, and this show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodego in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, the basement in our closet where nobody has been buried for 40 years. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Do you think this is up and up and comments? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Comeuppance? Yes, I'm sorry. Do you think this is it's come up? Is up and comments? It's up and comments. I know. I'm so stupid. I think he up and came. He's up and <laughs> <laughs> The next two podcast by Payne Lindsay. Okay. Oh, God. Partners in Crime Media. Don't be a victim of digital eye strain. Protect your eyes with a pair of Felix Grey glasses. Their lenses are designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from screens without the telltale yellow tint of other computer glasses. Try a pair of Felix Grey glasses today at felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash crime.